Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangely. And with me as always is my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. Uh, it is Wednesday, November 9th, and Chris, today we have a lot of egg on our face because Donald Trump was just elected president, and we have talked about him constantly on this podcast, and we have been about as wrong as you can possibly be on something. Uh, you know, some listeners constantly remind me of our first podcast were in the Republican primaries, and we said, no way he's winning the presidency, no way he's winning the primary. Uh, and, you know, a couple weeks ago, we even thought his candidacy was over and Hillary was win a, in a runaway. So uh, we don't need to dive into how we and all the experts got this wrong. Maybe we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I want to start off by talking about the investing implication of Trump's win going forward and then maybe kind of dive into maybe not why the polls got everything wrong, but how we can start thinking about polling and prediction markets and everything going forward after Trump and kind of Brexit as well as shocking win. So investing implications, you know, stock markets were limit down when Trump was kind of surprised winning last night. But they opened up down 1%, and they actually ended up with a massive rally on the day, and were up over 1% uh, by the end of the day. Uh, it kind of reflected my mood. You know, I was shell-shocked last night, and then as the day wore on, I was kind of sad but optimistic. But let's talk about it. What do you think drove kind of the huge swing in stock prices? Where are you seeing opportunities? Where are you not seeing opportunities? What do you think about everything going forward? I think this was the greatest upset in political history. I mean, I was going to say American political history, but I don't... Nothing, Even like Dewey... Nothing... Oh, oh. Yeah. An incumbent president gets reelected. No, no. I, I think that this was this was the biggest upset in political history. And let me just state that in uh, stark terms as a challenge to somebody to come up with a statistically more anomalous one. Neither an elected politician nor a political leader because you can go back far in history yep. and you find uh you find military leaders uh who then go into political office and people who are more junior this is his first job in political leadership so, so leader you, of the free world president of the united states of america I, so, an upset. so you're not referring to just like oh last night you know some poll said 90 10 no. some polls said no. you're i i 100 agree with you. you know 18 months ago a lot of liberal commentators were saying for him to run as a joke, so they would have fodder for late night TV. So, a hundred percent agree it, with you it, there. It is, it is a variant, um, and uh, uh, variant in a degree and direction that uh, was very hard to capture by any of the models with any of the priors that we had yeah. to work with. So it sounds like you want to start with uh, kind of a discussion of the polling, how pollings could be so far off, uh, prediction markets, and then maybe we'll turn to investing implications after that. Is that That'd kind of right? Okay. Yeah. So let's let's start with uh, discussions of the polling. You know, sure. Between this and Brexit, you've had two times where, you know, Polls were tight, but maybe, you know, every prognosticator, every prediction market said this thing is not going to happen. And as late as with, with Hillary Clinton's camp, I mean, they had great data. And as late as the polls closing, they were like, we've got this in the bag. You had heard their insider saying, we've got this. The data says this is going to be a blowout. And then they lost and they lost pretty handily in the Electoral College. Mm -hmm. You know, like, how is data missing this? How can we start relying on data again? It, what, what do you think about sure. this? Sure. I mean, let, let me play defense for a second and yeah. then offense for a little bit. Uh, on defense, I love science and evidence and data. Um, it works 
almost miraculously, almost perfectly, when you're dealing with a petri dish of millions and millions of cells. Yep. I mean, it's it's the math is so good at describing reality when you have when n is really big. Um, if you look at the modern uh, political system, and not just the United States of America, but in the modern permutation of party systems and uh, and coalitions, there's only about a dozen priors. And so the idea that says this is unprecedented, I always think it's funny in big sports competitions when somebody says that's the first time it's happened. But it's like, well, yeah, but there's a thousand things that could have happened and you've only done this 30 times. So everything is the first in some respect. Everything is the first in some respect. But the priors were bad on this. Um, they were very uh, misleading, very hard. Um, and so there's not that much data that was very relevant. And secondly, people treat, I mean, I think that you and I deal in probabilities, think in probabilities every single day, but I do get some reactions that are almost scandalous and almost kind of uh, gotcha-y. It's like, oh, you said that that thing was a two-to-one odd and it didn't happen. I'm like, well, yeah, things that are two-to-one don't happen a third of the time. You know, I agree with you there, but I mean, when I hear Hillary Clinton's internal camp with their internal data and everything saying, we we have this. And I mean, I, I heard a podcast on Monday night with somebody from the Obama campaign who was still, who was still getting stuff, who was like, 100%, we have every state we need, we're going to win Florida, we're going to win every, every swing state except for maybe Iowa or Ohio or something. It, it, it makes me think there's something the data's missing. Right. And I've got some hypotheses on that. I talked to you about them a little bit. I'm happy to go through them. I'll let you go through them, whatever you want. Just two on offense here. Yeah. One is there were some of the models 24 hours before that weren't two to one, but were 100 to one. And yeah. I will say that was wrong. That was yeah. a failure. That was, I will attack that. I won't say it was the one, not the 100. No, to say that he had less than a 1% chance was incorrect. Um, but also, I mean, I... Uh, uh, I think that my prognostication on this was 99% wrong throughout the last year, but it didn't look better behind the scene. The insider stuff that I was sending you, I mean, I had some individual county data in Florida that said with real returns coming out that she should have been winning by 6% yeah. nationally based on the higher socioeconomic, higher educated areas where she was going ahead of Obama. Yeah. Um, so that was a real failure. So look, I, you hit on the higher socioeconomic, higher – I'm wondering if this and Brexit, which both of them – I mean Donald Trump and Brexit were both opposed for the most mm -hmm. part by higher socioeconomic, yep. higher educated people. I'm wondering, you know, higher socioeconomic, higher educated people, uh, they probably dominate the betting markets, right? Mm -hmm. Betting markets are driven by money. Uh, they probably dominate the betting markets. They probably dominate the setting up of the polls. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if there is just a systematic bias away – from these working class lower things and that's something that we need to keep it we need to think of going forward i mean donald trump was arguing for the silent five million i don't quite know if he got the silent five million as much as there was less turnout on the democratic side but clearly the polls missed something because he way outperformed everything brexit way outperformed everything I, I, clearly there's something going on here mm -hmm. and, and it was something that i missed i mean there's there's a strain of um, writers and thinkers, and I just wanted to tick off of the ones, and this is reflecting back because, boy, I had lots of different models set up that did not uh, show this. Um, but, you know, when you look back, if you say who over the last day was closest to understanding this, I would say a scholar named Henry Olson, uh, who um, wrote Why I Disagree with Most National Polls. He got it almost precisely correct. And, and I would say it was not... 
the monkey with a keyboard. I, I would put out, having read Henry's work, that he really deeply understood uh, something that was happening here. And then the two I would go back just to tick off earlier on that seemed to be profoundly connected with what was happening in the country was Kevin Williamson. And, and I'll probably, on things I put out, I'll link to this, Chaos in the Family, Chaos in the State, where he writes about mostly the white working class and then finally Charles Murray, who wrote Coming Apart. Uh, these are the three. And Charles has this wonderful uh, uh, quiz you can do online that shows how much of a bubble do you live in that really shows culturally are you connected with millions and millions of Americans, many of whom voted for Donald Trump, or are you not only not part of that, but but isolated from yeah. it, so you didn't see what it, they were thinking. And I think that plays into the higher socioeconomic thing, like where you're in a bubble. And I try to avoid these, but I mm -hmm. think you and I both might have been in a little anti-Trump bubble. And uh, you know, but let's turn to the investment sure. implications. Yes. You know, we've got to start the investment implications. Where you know, on our October twentieth podcast, we mentioned Peter Thiel's one point five million investment into Trump's campaign, and we great said investment. We said he's the ultimate VC. He's playing a long shot with great odds, and gosh darn, did he have some great odds? But uh, let's talk about. Investing implications. There was a huge. The day ended up on a huge rally. There are a couple. I think there could be a couple of reasons for that. I'll let you talk about them if you want. I can start with my my hypothesis. Sure. Behind. Uh, let, let, let me just go. If, if I was going to start with it, um, I would say limit down. Um, I hate breakers. I wish they would let the market prices just clear. Markets hate uncertainty. It sounds cliche, but you look at this and uh, the markets are surprised. So they punish the market for the surprise. Uh, but then two things happened that limited the surprise and went from minus five to plus one or two. Uh, first of all, uh, he gave a sane, sober, Absolutely. and within Absolutely. the historical context acceptance speech. I think markets were very worried. He was going to say, my first act in office is I'm going to hang Hillary Clinton, mm -hmm. and my second act in office is I'm going to light fire to the New York Times. And he didn't do that. He gave it, a very, yeah, it, absolutely. It seemed normal. He rose to the occasion. And then secondly, uh, Hillary Clinton uh, conceded. A hundred percent. And yep, uh, even watching the market as she conceded, but it was increasingly clear that this was an unambiguous result. I would say a lot of people in journalism weren't happy with the conclusion, so they kind of said this was a mixed message. It wasn't a mixed message. It was it was clear. And as that sunk in, the lack of ambiguity strengthened the market over the last day. Well, you've got to give Hillary a little credit, right? Because I think she still did win the national vote. And, you know, she could have protested a little bit or something, but she, she gave him the – he won the electoral college and she gave it to him. So I, I think you're absolutely right. I think those were the big drivers that stopped us from the limit down day. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I think why we were actually up strongly, I think people are starting to say, like, hey, if he's not going to kind of, you know, do the crazy stuff we talked about, he's been promising corporate tax reform. If you cut corporate taxes from 35% to below 20%, the S&P 500's after-tax earnings multiple goes from, let's say it's 25 now, uh, 25 now, all of a sudden it's 17 or 16, stocks look cheap. Uh, you know, the economy's not growing fast. He's saying he's going to cut regulation. Maybe if he's cutting regulations, maybe we really can't grow quickly. So I, I think the stock market's taking an optimistic view. It kind of matched my mood. Really sad in the beginning, and I'm still sad, but kind of hopeful now. Uh, you know, there was a ton of stuff up, big on the day. There was a ton of stuff up uh, down a lot on the day. I can dive into those. Or if you want to talk about where you're kind of seeing opportunities, I'll let you. So uh, big today, I mean, the biotech farm industry is the first thing you have to think about. The, the index as a whole was up seven and a half percent. Pfizer, the the biggest one of the biggest pharma companies, was up eight percent. I think that's driven by two things. Uh, you know, Trump said he's going to have an over an overseas tax holiday that's going to let companies bring their cash back. And I think a lot of the farm industry is thinking, 
wow, if we bring all that tax over from Europe and stuff, there could be a huge M&A wave. And second, I mean, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, the progressive wing of the party had been saying they were going to really push back at uh, drug companies for price hikes and everything. We don't know if Donald Trump's going to go after that. In California, there was a big bill to limit uh, government spending on drugs. The farm industry spent over $100 million lobbying against it and successfully defeated it. So I think the farm industry is breathing a lot easier today. I mean, I think that's a big winner. You've mentioned the for-profit prisons, the for-profit education are big winners. Mm-hmm. Anything uh, with the words for-profit in them uh, were really uh, doing well today. Uh, my, you know, Something to look at on the prison side, uh, CXW, um, uh, Corrections Corp., uh, and on the education side, Apollo, APOL, are two that one might consider. You know, uh, some lack for dead sexers, coal, mm-hmm. uh, Ob- or sorry, Trump's been very clear that he wants the coal industry to be a part going forward. The Obama administration and the EPA really destroyed coal. Coal mm-hmm. had a big rally. I don't know if it's competitive with natural gas at today's prices, but coal's a thought. Uh, restaurants and a lot of places, places that depend on uh, minimum wage laborers had a huge rally because I don't think minimum wage is going to be a concern for him. What's suffering? Anything Obamacare-related, particularly the hospitals, were down 20% plus today. Anything Mexico-related, a lot of the car manufacturers down, he, I think those are suffering. I'm going to turn to the peso. I have one Mexican investment, though, that I think could do really well. With Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say. Semex, one... ticker CX. They're going to be the guys to build the wall. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned Semex. So dive into that or talk about where else are you seeing opportunities uh, in the Trump administration, long or short? You know, I think that on the long side, um, I'm the stuff that I'm most interested in, kind of scope of government, um, you know, I do care a lot about tax policy. I think that we can do a lot to really comprehensively reform the corporate tax rate. Uh, but the, the bad news for the things that I care most about in terms of good public policy is it doesn't create a lot of arbitrary opportunities. It makes things more efficient, which is a sad thing for an investor because the benefits go kind of generally on spending and frugality, same thing. But regulatory reform can go fast. Tax and spending takes months or years to really hit the economy. Regulatory reform can affect things the next day. Uh, so, you know, you look at a world where I thought that had things not gone this way, that if Hillary Clinton was president, as I thought, well known, it was quite likely, uh, and if she had taken the Senate, which I thought was quite likely, that not only would she be president, but all of her pressure would have been from her left. And so that the regulatory bodies would have been the most impactful on the economy. We, we've talked about this quite a lot, but when, especially when it was looking like Hillary Clinton was going to blow up. Uh, we need to edit it, that stuff out. <laughs> we're just changing the past. But I, I, we talked about it a lot. I think, uh, you know, the Obama administration had been incredibly aggressive on antitrust stuff. You look at Office Depot staples, like, it, tell me, does anyone go to Office Depot or staples versus ordering from Amazon? Or could a Walmart not fulfill almost everyone's need? I don't think so. There are companies that will go yeah. bankrupt that were accused by this administration of being dominant monopolists. Yeah, it, it was literally like, exactly, exactly. Uh, but. On the, I think the antitrust regulations are going to be much lighter going mm-hmm. forward. I think that's going to be a huge opportunity because you know we do a lot of merger arbitrage stuff. We look at a lot of it has really blown out because there's been fears that the Obama administration and the Hillary administration would continue that. We're going to block everything and we're going to be very anti-business. I think Obama in 2009 said regulators would have their foot on antitrust and Donald Trump's probably going to take the boot off. I think that's a huge opportunity for everyone except for AT&T and Time Warner, where he has been clear CNN is not getting bought by anyone. But I'll I'll let you kind of have last words on opportunities and everything. 
So I think that if you look at the deal world, the areas that I'm most comfortable are that the FTC and the DOJ really are going to change direction. Not only that the new people will ultimately not be Hillary's people, but the current ones aren't trying out for her administration, which very clearly over the last couple of months they were. Um, a big question mark. I mean, I guess I would normally have ideas that I'm presenting as ideas that perhaps are good ideas, but I would say a big question mark is cross-border deals. Is that more on the side of the deregulation? Or is that more on the side of anti-trade? It's unclear where this administration is. And I think in terms of where the market looked uh, first after this, I would say I'm sympathetic. Uh, uh, I know a lot of Hillary Clinton people who would be the people moving into the regulatory bodies. I don't even know who the Trump people are. What is the Trump theory of cross-border deals? Look, a a lot of Chinese companies buying American companies, even ones with no regulatory risk, traded very weak today because Mm -hmm. will he just block China from buying anything? And, you know, I think a lot of... uh, a lot of companies that rely on some form of regulation were uh, rallying a lot today. Uh, a lot of the media companies that rely on retransmission rates from cable companies, uh, in the past, they've been very sensitive. Oh, I raise it 3 or 4% every year because if I don't, the FCC is not going to like me. Apparently, a lot of people are saying, like, wheels are off. The Trump administration is not going to care at all. They're going to be raising 15 20%. They're going to be sticking it to people with their uh, retransmission raises. So Absolutely. It, it, it will be fascinating. There's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of opportunities to be great. 10 seconds. You want last word, any, anything you want to talk about? Uh, Putin congratulated him. And I was looking at the <laughs> interior decor in Putin's palace. And I was thinking, boy, you know, one of the first jobs that President Trump's going to have is redecorating the Oval Office. <laughs> and I'm ready for a lot of guilt. Two peas in a pod. Uh, all right. That's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, just a quick reminder. Uh, if you like this podcast, please be sure to follow and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Audio Boom. Please be sure not to go back and hang us on our words for anything we've said about Donald Trump over the past year. Uh, disclosures. Chris, none for me. I think we mentioned Apollo, which you might be along a little I'm bit a, I'm, a, I'm along a little Apollo. I'm along a little Corrections Corp. But in this new era, I'm not even sure we have to disclose anything anymore. Uh, <laughs> do not listen to any prior podcasts on the issue of this election. And for the, I disavow that. And Chris was lying. We will continue to disclose everything. Disclosures will be up to speed. We will try to talk to you guys tomorrow.